Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we introduced Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible's great hall of faith chapter, and we talked a lot about what faith is, belief in something as yet unseen in all its fullness. And even more than that, it's the certainty of a loving God in a better world than this one. Believing God simply because he is God. But faith is more than head knowledge or even heart knowledge. This morning we're going to expand on that a little by talking about what faith does. Faith is the only thing that really matters in matters of salvation. Faith draws a person toward God and leads a person through a life with God. It's following the footsteps of some less than perfect men and women whose faith so impressed God that he's preserved their stories for all time in his word. Sunday school staples like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and, and, and more. Stories that would have been just as familiar to the original readers of Hebrews back in the first century. Now, why some and not others? Surely there were more than a dozen or so old faithful people of God who believed the promises and walked with him through thick and thin. Why aren't they all listed in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, there were more. No matter how far away from, from God, his people would, would tend to wander as a nation. There was always a remnant that remained faithful. They weren't perfect, but they were faithful, often at a steep price. And, to eat, and each of their stories really has something valuable to teach us about walking in faith, being points of brightness in the darkness of a fallen world. There are all kinds of lessons in Abraham's story alone, not the least of which is trusting God to keep his promises for the future. Abraham is considered to be the father of the Hebrew people who followed God's lead to pack up his old life and, and move his people to the promised land. What we didn't mention we talked about him last week is that his father had been in the idol-making business, made little household gods. Now, by outward appearances at the very least, they probably worshipped the moon god, Sin, who was popular where they were. But when God called him, as unlikely as that seems, he answered. Does it sound unusual that Abraham would hear the call of God and simply obey? Well, knowing his family situation, it kind of does, but it happens every day in the lives of God's people. You know, if it didn't, there wouldn't be any such thing as a missionary. There'd be no new ministries started, uh, no new churches planted. Abraham obeyed the, on, on a, a passionate conviction that God was preparing something truly remarkable in his life. And then there was Moses, who traded the palace life in Egypt for something a whole lot less palatial out in the wilderness. Moses' whole life from beginning to end was directed by faith. The Hebrew, Hebrew people had prospered during their sojourn in Egypt and had become so numerous in the 300 years since Joseph died that the most recent Pharaoh was growing nervous about the, the sleeping giant they'd become. And so his solution was forcing them into slavery. To control their population, he issued a decree that all newborn male Hebrew babies were to be thrown into the Nile and drowned. In defiance of that order, Moses' mother kept him hidden for three months. And then she obeyed the king, but with a twist. She put the baby Moses into the Nile all right, but first she put him into a little ark, a kind of waterproof basket made from reeds. Maybe she thought that if God could save Noah through an ark, uh, that she could save her son the same way. As it turned out, the baby Moses was discovered and rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter, who took him into her home and into the palace and raised him as her own. 
He grew up with the kind of riches and excesses we know King Tut enjoyed. And it was all might have been his to rule one day. The best the world had to offer was probably his on a platter. But then came the moment he had to decide whether or not he would return to his roots. Now you gotta think that the world must have been whispering or reasoning with him about how much more he could help his people from the throne room than the brick pits. And yet he left it all behind to be the person he was born to be rather than the person he'd been raised to be. He answered the call of God to walk in the faith of his fathers. And God used him, he stretched him by faith to actually become the most powerful man in the world anyway. His name alone struck fear in the heart of the Egyptians because his name and his fame represented the power of his God who would use Moses to free his people and lead them to a new home. His eyes were fixed on a higher prize, not the opulence of the present, but the promises of the future, not the high life and freedom for the one, but the redemption for the many. When God's people finally crossed the Jordan River on their way to the promised land under Joshua's leadership, they realized that they were going to have to fight their way to it, beginning with the great fortified city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a major pagan city they had to get by on their way to the land of milk and honey God had promised them. And it was going to be a battle. God told Joseph that he would, or Joshua, that he was going to give the city into his hands, and then he shared with him how he was going to do it. For Joshua, even to believe that plan was a great act of faith. This city wouldn't fall because Joshua had taken it by storm, but by faith. He and his army were to march around the city once each day for six days in a row. On the seventh day, the priests were to blow their trumpets and all the people were to shout. You can imagine the people of Jericho, you know, locked tightly inside the, the double-walled city and the city gates, you know, wondering what was going on outside. The soldiers, the guards lining the top of the wall looking down must have found this new tactic uh, amusing. An army not sieging, not attacking, not carrying so much as a ladder, but simply walking. But when the time came and the horns blew and the people of God shouted, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They collapsed. The city was captured, looted, and burned. Its population put to the sword for their sin all except an unlikely citizen named Rahab, along with her family. Unlikely because Rahab had been a prostitute there. Now, before the miraculous destruction of the city, Rahab had hidden Joshua's spies while they were on a reconnaissance mission. She actually saved their lives. So she and her family eventually joined the Israelites and became a part of God's people. Unlikely heroes of the faith, for sure, but there they are on God's list. In fact, Rahab shows up later in Jesus' own genealogy as one of his ancestors, only by God's amazing grace. Our reading this morning skips some of the verses at the end of Hebrews 11 for brevity, but I want you to hear them, verses 32 to 40. It goes, um, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Some of those uh, players in the story of God's love for his people and his plan of salvation are well known. Some we barely know, others aren't even named. But there's a story worth remembering behind every one of them. Uh, Jephthah, a man named Jephthah is mentioned. He was the son of a prostitute. His father Gilead had other sons by his wife. And when the sons grew up, they threw Jephthah out of the house, claiming that he had no part of the inheritance because his mother had been a prostitute. So he leaves, and he goes on to make his mark as a mighty warrior. When the hometown folks are facing their demise at the hands of their enemy, the Amorites, who do they turn to for help? Jephthah, of course. He agrees to come home and fight for them, but only if they agree to make him their leader if he wins. They agree. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on him. And he goes about the countryside raising an army. And after uh, uh, exhausting every peaceful means of avoiding war, he goes on to rout the Amorites, destroying 30 of their city, 20 of their cities. Uh, Jephthah became judge over the Israelites in the days before they had kings, and he ruled for six years. But there's one more thing about Jephthah that he's even better remembered for. And asking God for victory makes a poorly thought out vow. He promises that if the Lord gives him victory, then he'll offer up his thanks to God, the first thing to come out of his house when he arrives home. Now, we don't know if he expected a servant to be there to welcome him or the family dog, but when he does come home victorious, people are gathered there to celebrate his success. And the first thing to come out of his house is his daughter dancing with tambourines. And as a result, his only child seems to have been seems to have been given over uh, to a life of service to the Lord in keeping with his vow. And therefore, she never married or had children. A, a huge thing because a big family was a symbol of God's favor in those days. She even agrees that a vow to God must be kept. And you have to wonder why she isn't on this list of heroes uh, along with her father. Maybe because of his service as a judge over God's people. Maybe because he always believed God would give him the victory. Or maybe because in spite of the heartbreak it must have caused him. Uh, he, he still kept his vow, but Jephthah makes the list. These aren't perfect people, you know, just like we're not perfect people. What they are is people of God who trusted God even when it didn't seem reasonable or when it hurt. That made them heroes in God's eyes. Most of you encountered probably someone in your life already who became a hero of the faith to you. They didn't raise an army. They didn't uh, take part in any miraculous event, but they were there for you just as if God had sent them exactly when you needed them most. You won't find their names in the pages of Scripture, maybe, but each one is forever etched into your heart and mind. There's a reference to Daniel's friends from home in exile, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to a golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. You can read all about the king's surprise when he, he peeks into the furnace and sees another person implied to be an angel just walking around. And they emerge unsinged and not even smelling of smoke by their faith in God. 
Their faith remained intact and they remained undaunted, even though God had sent their nation into exile as punishment for turning away from him. Or Daniel himself, who was cast into a den of lions for refusing to pray to King Darius. He spent a full night uh, with those man-eaters, but he wasn't eaten. When the den opening was unsealed the next morning, there he was, safe and sound, saved by faith. God had shut the mouths of the lions. Through faith in the one true God, two Old Testament women received their sons back from the dead, one through the prophet Elijah, the other one through the prophet Elisha. Other believers kept the faith through imprisonment, beatings, and all kinds of persecution. Some were stoned. Tradition says that the prophet Isaiah was put into a hollow log by King Manasseh and sawn in two because the prophet wouldn't approve of the king's idolatry or take part in it. Others were forced by persecution to such poverty that they wound up wearing animal skins and living in caves, scraping out a meager existence as best they could, but they never gave up their faith. Listen again to how the writer wraps up this chapter. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That's the gospel for everyone. What had been promised was the coming Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, who they never really lived to see in person, but yet they believed the promise and that saved them. They made perfect in God's eyes by faith just like the imperfect people we are today. Now, the author of people of Hebrews, most people think it was probably the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luther thought it might have been Apollos. Um, they're writing from, from this side of Easter, from our side. Say, so just like us, he's looking back at the, the fulfillment of God's promise. All those Old Testament believers could only hold on to by faith in the future. How much easier should it be for us then, living on this side, where Jesus' death and resurrection is a matter of history? That's what makes the faith all these, of all these Old Testament heroes so awesome. Again, these weren't perfect people any more than we're perfect people. Some lacked in purity. Samson was a bit of a womanizer, and he was impulsive, and he was vengeful. After learning a hard lesson about trusting in himself instead of God, along with losing his miraculous strength and then his sight, he turned back to God, but only in order to get revenge. And in the process of getting that revenge, ended up killing himself. Thinking about Jephthah's vow, they weren't all that brilliant. And not all of them were that courageous. Many believers lived in secret in those days because they feared for their lives. Believers in some parts of the world today still do. There was even a time when a man couldn't be found to lead Israel to victory against her enemies. And so a woman, a housewife and counselor named Deborah, she took on the responsibility as Israel's judge. Through shame and by faith in the promise of God, she prodded a man named Barak to take command of Israel's forces, and he did, but only after insisting that she accompany him in battle. They were just people. Most cases, people a lot like us, people who were asked to serve in some way and, and stepped up and did, in spite of the difficulties and danger that might have involved. And God has preserved their stories to inspire us to keep the faith. Whether our world seems to be crumbling like Jericho's walls or our reason fights to rule over our new hearts in Christ. You know, we have stories like this to remind us that there are going to be times when, when it seems like life has led you into something more like, a, like a, a rat race than a walk by faith. But even in those times, 
They can be a blessing if they help you develop a memorable reliance on God. The faith to trust that God can pull off a miraculous victory for us, just as he's done so often in the past for others. Walking by faith means never taking your eyes off heaven. And yet all this life's victories pale in comparison to the ultimate victory faith brings through sins forgiven. More than just everyday victories in this life, God's gift of faith brings us victory over this life. That's a lesson we're expected to pass on to the generations that follow us. And when we do that, we become heroes of the faith, you know, by word and example. We can't read these stories without feeling the momentum of a power to save here, a power that can accomplish what it's meant to do in spite of our own repeated weaknesses and failings, a power from on high that will use even us to bring the good news of everlasting life to a world that's living in the darkness of sin. You see, now it's our story that can make a difference, a story that's still being written. And what would it say about us? Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to receive your gifts.